In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Welcome to episode 22 of First Strike the Invasion podcast. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And uh, we're the podcast that looks at every issue and every uh, tie-in issue of the 1988 DC Comics crossover Invasion. And we've finally done it. We've reached Invasion number two. Exactly. <laughs> it's a three-issue miniseries, but it's taken us 22 episodes to get to the second issue. And, and there are three huge issues, but uh, we looked at the 20 tie-ins between book one and book two. Right. All the first strike is done. Uh, so now we hit, the book two is called Battleground Earth, and that will lead to, the, you know, the next tie-ins will uh, not be first strikes. I'll just say. Can't wait for the next tie-ins. I mean, I've read this one, and, and so many things are happening. I can't wait for the other tie-ins. I, I, there's so many stories to tell. Battleground Earth is by, let's say, a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, plot and Breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Script by Bill Mantlow. Pencils uh, for chapters one and two, Todd McFarlane. Uh, for three and four, Keith Giffen himself. Inks on chapter one, P. Craig Russell. Inks on chapter two and four by Al Gordon. Inks on chapter three by Joe Rubenstein with Tom Christopher. Letters, Augustine Mass and John Costanza. Colors by Carl Gafford. The assistant editor on this series was Kevin Dooley, and its editor was Andrew Helfer. Copyright 1988 came out with books cover dated February 1989, uh, but actual on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, is November 8th, 1988. It's an 80-page monster with no ads. It's a monster. It's great. <laughs> and the cover is by Bart Sears and Joe Rubenstein. Rubenstein, Rubenstein. It's the famous picture of American servicemen uh, raising the flag on Iwo Jima, uh, except with superheroes in it. And the, the same picture that became the basis for the Marine Corps War Memorial in Arlington. Uh, and we've got Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, Captain Adam, and Firestorm holding up the United Nations flag as... Spaceships crash in the background, and they're standing on a small-scale Earth. Uh, what do you think of this cover? Uh, liked it. I like that Martian Manhunter's in there, because he's an alien. Mm -hmm. He's defending Earth. Also a half-goddess, Wonder Woman, or... Uh, at that point, she's a lady made of clay, right? Yes. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Captain Adam, a Firestorm... A two relatively, well, a new superhero and redone, Redes yeah, older well, type 
I'm not really older, but kind of. I wonder uh, if there's a, a question of origins, because if they're representing Earth in its entirety, then Martian Manhunter is the immigrant. Yep. Came from another world. Uh, Wonder Woman is Greek. Captain Adam is All-American. And Firestorm at this point is actually Russian. Mikhail Arkadin yeah, 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 mixed up right. with inside, you know, part of the, so it's an American-Russian combination inside yeah. Firestorm right now. So maybe that's the reason for him to be there. I mean, these aren't necessarily the heroes that are most involved in the issue. Well, Captain Adam is. Captain Adam is. And Martian Manhunter has, plays and, a prominent role, but I think Superman yeah. plays a bigger role. Of course. Uh, than Firestorm or Wonder Woman. I don't know. And maybe it was just chance. Maybe it's just colors. You know, they wanted a certain yeah, type of yeah. colors. And, but, uh, we can go further and give them a little bit more meaning, like, uh, because of their descent, their origins, etc. So I, I really dig it. It's, uh, it's one of those covers you can look at and, and think about why they're there, even if it maybe was by chance, but, well, let's look at it chapter by chapter. There are four chapters, yep. as the credits revealed, and uh, let's just do a little s- summary of each and give our thoughts, you know, as we go along. Uh, so the first chapter is a f- starts with a recap of the last month of Invasion First Strike comics. It appears to be a video shown to a summit of superheroes called by Captain Adam to a secret bunker to plan an offensive. Uh, they're told the 24-hour ceasefire is about to end, and they're not considering a nuclear option lest the aliens break out even bigger guns, and that Amanda Waller wants to use her Suicide Squad to rope supervillains into joining the fight. Meanwhile, in space, the Dominators also discuss their strategy, arrogantly confident that the ceasefire only plays to their advantage, uh, while in Melbourne, the Kuns watch uh, their own recap video and come to the conclusion that the Dominion was weak to allow that ceasefire. Then, an hour before the ceasefire is meant to end, the Kuns detect Earth's forces attacking. Though sure of their victory, this nevertheless uh, makes them respect Earth more than they do the Dominators. And that's the that's first chapter, that's the setup. Chapter one, I call Intel and Recon, but, you know, that, it's just me. I just give them titles, because I'm a title guy. Uh, that's basically it. I, I kind of like the recap on everything, because we read... A lot of stuff. We did, but yeah. a normal reader might not have read everything. But uh kind of gives you an insight on, on who they are. Just reminded me that the Gildish Pan are kind of awesome, but still, <laughs> they're still worms. You know, solidified my hate for Thanagarians. Well, the prologue is really from the Earth Forces point of view, which I like. So we don't see in the Alliance, we don't see any Psions, we don't see any Daxamites. Exactly. Uh, the, the characters that are either, or the Citadelians, the ones that are still on Starlag and not part of the invasion yeah. force or the Daxamites are sort of, you know, just observers. We don't see them. One bit I did love from this is the, uh, on page five, the second panel is the, uh, an enlistment, expected enlistment graph. Which goes, 1988 goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. So human forces, humans, it's not superheroes, but humans want to join up, want to enlist, want to fight the good fight, uh, you know, across the board. So it, it, it is a common fight. It is a yeah. uniting fight for Earth. So I like that, that part of it. Did you notice in the summit, uh, if we get into the, the actual story, there are a couple of, uh, superheroes present, and I know they're very small. But there are a couple of superheroes present who should not be there. I didn't see anybody. I, well, I didn't really look. Um, and you've got the recolored version of the trade paperbacks. I wonder if... No, no. I, I can see from here. It's even more obvious. Oh, yeah. Well, Swamp Thing's there. Yeah, so he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be he there. He was exiled from Earth. A lot of Rocket Reds in there also. But that's fine. Spider-Man's in there. Yeah, Spider-Man is the other one that I noted uh, <laughs> at the back. That's kind of funny. In the wrong universe. 
I don't know. Oh, oh, geez, ambush bug's there. I, yeah, ambush we bug see him later, but uh, I, you know what? I never noticed him in that crowd scene before. Really? My bad, because I'm a uh, diehard ambush bug collector. But since we see him later, you know, yeah. this, I already knew he was in this issue. And and somebody who's looking a lot like Chameleon, you know, from the Legion. Yeah, you're right. I, right beside Starman. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, they're so sketchy. You, yeah. you can't really tell. Although they are a, a great rendition of how some costumes are iconic and you just recognize them with just minor broad colors strokes. and broad strokes. Yeah. I mean, Robot Man, you see him from a mile away. I, I really like that. I yeah. like these things. The Creeper, you recognize him. Hawkman. So, uh, so that was one thing. And Batman does show up. He does. At the summit. We don't see him later. Uh, he basically shows up to whine about uh, power levels yeah, and how some of us street heroes can't do anything and shouldn't be doing anything. I don't know. Uh, so he's, <laughs> he's still trying to get out of participating in the invasion. Basically, he's there to look gloomy and just ask a question. That's all he does. Yeah. We, we haven't seen Batman really because he has his own things and, and we get it. But Superman was the one who went to the Dominion. And asked for the ceasefire. Yeah. So here he briefs the other heroes on what happened. Exactly. And they're the ones that decide to break the ceasefire, which... Let's play dirty a little bit. Eh, well... Well, you're being invaded. I think you, you can play dirty a little yeah. bit. Especially if the, if the aliens are dumb enough to, to believe it. Well, they're, they weren't dumb. I think they were confident. Cause, uh, Overconfident. Which well, is yeah. a dumbness. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> when Superman walks in and asks politely for a, a ceasefire... And you just go off on him saying, well, well, no, and we're going to dominate everything. And he goes, well, all right, we're going to just round up everybody for you. Really? Do you not know who Superman is? I mean, honestly. But yeah, give us a chance to talk to our people. Yeah. Uh, and when they do have that chance, they decide to go on the offensive. And of course, we get a lot of the, the, the alien banter that the first issue had. Um, the Kunz and the Dominion especially do not appreciate one another. Not really, they don't. They so, don't. They, uh, they they seem to be having this... It kind of feels like they're only friends because they have a common enemy. But if if they weren't doing this invasion thing, they wouldn't be even close to being in an alliance for anything. No. no. They have different reasons, different ways, different everything. So, yeah, the Kuns and the... I mean, these guys, they, they do not see eye to eye. Or eye to teeth. I don't know. <laughs> They don't have. Yeah, but when you've got the you got the, the the smart and deceptive dominion, and then you've got the honor bound. I guess you've got a code yeah. of warrior and strategic. They seem yeah. more strategic in a warrior sense than these dominators, who are very smart, but they seem to be lacking in warrior spirit. So yeah, they're, they're the dominators are dumb warriors. Basically. But as we know, they've got their own agenda, so yeah. it's not so much about in- invading a planet as it is getting their hands on the metagene and yeah, exactly. uh, on the superheroes. So, uh, any last thoughts on that first part before the, our heroes attack? Uh, you know what? In the, chapter one, uh, we have a conversation between uh, the Kun uh, leader and one of the dominators. One of the dominators calls him uh, his dear commander, and the Kun actually does this don't call me dear joke. Loved it. Just loved it. That's pure Giffen. All right, chapter two. What did you call this one? I called it Taken Back Melbourne. Spoiler. Uh, the Justice League <laughs> The Justice League and friends attack Kun forces in Melbourne, led by Superman, and almost immediately the Daxamite observers, seeing the Man of Steel as a threat to their existence, pull him out of the group and fight him. Eventually, they succumb to lead poisoning, and Superman saves them by taking them out of Earth's polluted atmosphere. They start questioning their alliance with 
other uh, with the other alien powers. Elsewhere in Australia, the Doom Patrol takes down part of the Kund Armada. Under the Arctic Circle, Atlantis and friends fight the Gildish Pan. Uh, in space, the Dominators set to dissecting the Flash and uh, find an implant that immediately explodes, taking them with it. Turns out this Flash bomb uh, was tech Lex Luthor wanted to demonstrate to the U.S. military. Uh, they pass on it, but he wonders how Superman would fare against such hero bombs. Which I don't think was ever... I don't think we ever saw that later. No, that's, that's very gruesome. And as the losses mount, the Kund warlord in charge of the Melbourne base is recalled to the moon base. And at Earth Command, Captain Adam decides to go on the offensive uh, and show the aliens there's a price to invading Earth. So they don't only retake, you know, the territory they've lost. They want to go further. Oh, yeah. And that's how Chapter 2 ends. Changing the tides. That's maybe how I should have called the chapter. But, uh, but especially since there's some water, underwater action. Yeah, there's a lot of underwater action. I mean, Superman, the Sea Devils, and Robot Man. Did you say Superman? Uh, yeah, yeah, Aquaman, sorry. And Robot Man, the Doom Patrol. We don't the Sea really Devils, know. back in their normal, original costumes. In the Doom Patrol comic, they were wearing these hideous <laughs> outfits that I'd never seen before or later. And yeah. in fact, even in this issue, they're back in red. Yeah, which is devil color. Uh, it's their proper costumes. Lori Lamaris is part of that, uh, that yeah. group, Aqualad. Aqualad's kind of younger. Or... He's weirdly drawn. This is uh, Todd McFarlane. We haven't spoken about the art, but uh, early Todd McFarlane is... The capes are beautifully rendered. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of them. But the, and they change in size. Faces are yeah. not always very good. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of cartoony. I kind of like the art, though. Uh, I, I don't mind. I've never minded Todd McFarlane's cartooniness. Because yeah. uh, here it's yeah. a bit rough. But maybe he has so much to draw. Yeah, uh, there's and, a lot of stuff. And maybe the inking doesn't work well with his style. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, but um, it's fine. It's just yeah. It's, some of the art isn't so great. But it's very cartoony. It's yeah. very car- and, and I kind of dig it because uh, I like that when it it, it kind of becomes a clash or not a clash but a, a amalgamation mm-hmm. of. Uh, American style and some European styles, you know, like we see in Asterix or, or you know, these kinds of overly cartoony types. But, you know, it, it's kind of a nice little mix of these two. And, and I kind of like it. Okay. But, yeah. We but, yeah, see, that's Lori uh, Lamaris. There's fully yeah. topless uh, in well, the, uh, well, that's just she's drawn. She's a, she's a, a, a mermaid. Mermaid. But it's it's nice to see her because you never see her, and I'm sure it's her. It's just the way I mean, I know we're seeing her from the back, but the, yeah, it's her, the, the hair color and all that. So that sequence also has the Gildish Band's weird guns. Yeah, because one of their arms, their only arm, ends with like a spiky ball yeah. or a cratered ball. That's their hand, uh, sort of a, like a Morning Star weapon, but instead of spikes, it's, it's craters. Yeah, or like little. I don't know, volcanoes. And here they're really, this is the first time I've ever seen this, but they're shooting uh, energy blasts out of those uh, holes. Or it might be some acid blast, because we know they can shoot acid that can be fatal to most humans. I don't know. Can you blast acid like that? Well, not underwater. That would would negate They look like laser beams. So I'm thinking they they put a weapon inside their ball. Feels like it. uh, Inside themselves, and then they can fire from, like, three blasts. In In this comic... The Gildish Pan don't look as ridiculous as they seem. For some reason, they just, they got badassed up. You know, they're, they're just, ones yeah, and, and, you know, we kind of got that they, they were, you know, genetically manipulating creatures, you know, to do their bidding and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah, yeah. That was fine. But seeing them go in on the offensive by themselves with their little tiny ball hand, that's kind of cool. I, I, I really dug it. 
Because, you know, Guildish Pan aren't my favorite. There aren't? Well, you know. They're, they're better than Teddy Gary. They're about but... to be. Uh, <laughs> and the other fights that we see, uh, before we get to the Superman fight, I still want to say this is our first sighting of Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. He's been around, but now he's there. He's, this is the first time we see him. We still have this mention of the yellow weakness in the ring, so kind of... That still exists. That still exists. Much later, on page 37, we've got the Suicide Squad appearance. Yeah. Uh, our first... And they're in Australia, so it makes sense that Captain Boomerang is uh, is fighting there because that's his country. Yeah. But um, there is a mystery, as yet unsolved mystery, as to who Todd McFarlane meant to be drawing on that page. Because if these are the Suicide Squad villains, or villains or anti-heroes, okay, we recognize Nemesis, always part of the team. The Duchess, formerly Lashina, is there with the in camo mm-hmm. with the gun. She was a member of the team. Captain Boomerang, of course, member of the team. Black Orchid, member of the team. And this is her last mission. Okay. The others. So we've got Heat Wave. I mean, they're very yeah, tiny, yeah. but we've got Heat Wave, the yeah. Flash villain. Uh, the legend of tomorrow, Heat Wave. Yeah. Um, so he, that this is his only Suicide Squad mission. Ambush Bug's there. He seems to have like this sweater on. Yeah, I know. He's, yeah, he used to dress up over his suit. Don't ask. And then. What, was he on the team though? No, and he's never been he was, on that he team. He was never on. Okay, yeah. Um, this is like a rare appearance for him outside of his own miniseries and all that in <laughs> through the 80s. So fun to see him. It's not the last time we see him in Invasion. I'll say that. Uh, and then there are three, presumably supervillains, that cannot be identified. I don't know. So there's one with butterfly wings. I'm thinking Mothman, but... Uh, like Killer Moth. Killer Moth, yeah. Killer yeah, Moth, Moth can fly. I don't think you know, Killer Moth could even fly, but... I don't think so. I mean, he's orange-colored, so some people think maybe Firebug. Okay, yeah. Batman villain. Yeah, but maybe. that's that's not... Well, yeah, maybe. In the comics, it was orange, so... Okay. Uh, and then, uh, maybe. And then there's this woman who looks like uh, Ms. Marvel. Yeah. No idea who that is. Uh, and nobody can tell me who that is. I've, I've asked. I've been asking for years. And then there's the one in complete shadow with a cape and gloves, uh, which some people I've asked have theorized that uh, it was like somebody that was drawn in there and then somebody said, no, you can't have access to that character for whatever reason. Doesn't exist in this continuity, whatever. And he was just blacked out. Okay. Uh, but put we in can, shadow. We can try to figure out because he has gloves, big gloves. It's, I don't know. Has a cape. I mean, that's a very, very standard yeah, looking Silver Age or Golden Age costume. We know he can fly. No idea who that is. So there are villains in here. I, as a Suicide Squad fan uh, of the, that era, I really wish I knew who these people were. <laughs> Man. Somebody knows. None of the wikis know. None of my readers on the blog know. Because Keith I asked Giffen there. knows. Todd McFarlane must must have known who he was drawing. I'm sure he remembers. Or, I'm sure he remembers. Yeah, I'm sure he remembers. Uh, so, Todd, Keith, if you're listening. If you're listening. <laughs> Oh, they're not listening. Yeah, no. Uh, so that's, uh, we'll, we'll, we may never know. Do you have theories, listeners? Let us know. I'll put that image up on the fireandwaterpodcast.com site, and uh, you can tell me who these mystery supervillains are. Actually, please do. And uh, we'll see. Maybe they were killed during the invasion. We don't know. I, it was a suicide mission. So then there's the big, yeah, the big fight with the Daxamites and uh, Superman. Superman and the Daxamites. Uh, see, uh, Daxamites, just because of Supergirl, the show, for some odd reason, I was on the early Supergirl not liking the Daxamites. Like, eh, Daxamites. Okay. So I'm I'm down with that in this 
little section here. I'm like, eh, they're assholes. Okay. I'm just they're just there to observe, but that fits your yeah your, yeah. your idea just, of yeah. This just fits my thing. And you know, they just attack Superman for no reason. Absolutely. So they're just well, assholes. They're it's just even played as a comedy because they keep harping on the fact that they're just observers, but yeah. they keep punching him every time they punch him. We're just observing. Bow. We're just observing. Kick in the face. We're just observing. Bloody nose. <laughs> What's wrong with these guys? <laughs> they have no sense of irony? Or or maybe they do. I don't know. I, I guess they freaked out uh, because they were only going to intervene if they were under attack. Yeah. And since they're in the, the, ba- the Melbourne base, when the base is attacked, then they're attacked. And then really, no one can do anything to them. There are six supermen. Except Superman. So they leave everyone else alone, but the one threat is Superman. Although, you know, they might have tried to talk things out. They might have. They're not very good observers. No. And the other Superman link is the Lex Luthor bit with the flash bomb. What do you think of that? Oh my. Because at first I was like, no, wait, this is a, this, this is a problem with continuity. And before I even went further, before the flash explodes, uh, I actually went to a flash and manhunter. The next issues, which, yeah. you know, because those, both those characters are in Cuba and were left in Cuba or around Cuba. And now here, the Flash has been captured. Like, when did this happen? So I thought, well, wait, are they, does that happen during, in Italian? And so I went to those issues. No, no, that's not, that's not what happens in the next issues. Turns out it's not the real Flash. And uh, I didn't go and check it out as quickly as you did. But they, <laughs> well, they did say that they found him in the South Pacific. Yeah, so it's like, what, so I was like, what? What's it, happening? It's not. And for I don't know for some reason I thought this isn't a real thing. But I thought maybe it was a da- uh, not a Daxamite, a uh, Durlin for some reason. Durlin. They you turned know. to Durlins in Cuba. Yeah, or you know, double agent, or I don't know. But when I saw the bomb, and then then you have Lex gloating, and <laughs> isn't that just like Lex? To be, you know, smoking his big cigar. And this is uh, this is cancer arm, Lex, right? Right. This is, his uh, hand has been uh, replaced. Yeah, cause, because of his kryptonite ring or some, right. something like that. Doesn't stop him from smoking. Oh, no, no. He's, you know, he's been through a lot. But that's so vicious. Disguising somebody as the Flash. And and this is his one contribution to the war. Well, it's a big one. He, he and, blew up a ship. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, when, when they say, no, I'm sorry, we don't think they'll fall for this twice. It's a little creepy. It is. Well, quite frankly, because is what is it, like a clone body? We don't even know. What was it? Uh, it had to fool the Dominators enough, and we'll, you know, we're not that far off from Lex growing himself a new body. Exactly. Uh, in this era. So, exactly. He's he's very creepy. He has, he's, uh, it's very ruthless. It's, you know. And he, his reaction is, try to help, and I'm snubbed so much for Lex Luthor's alliance with Earth Force. So it's like, <laughs> screw Earth. I know. Jesus. He's the embodiment of evil. Yeah. He's just, just incredible. And right so, after... So not all villains are on uh, oh, Amanda Waller's beck and call. But I like how they contrast him and Superman, who saves the Daxamites on the next page. Superman's fighting people, six Supermen, who he sees are in trouble, and he saves them. So, I mean, he's such the... Yeah, and, and that's going to turn them. Uh, in the next chapter, we'll see that they actually yeah. they, they don't just reconsider uh, their alliance. They you know they actually go against it. Yeah. Uh, well, they're observers, so I guess they're neutral, and they'll finally pick a side. 
I didn't really like him from the beginning, just because, you know, who observes a war? Who, who just looks and then goes, yeah, well, this is just, I'm just observing. Even just observing, well, it puts you on the side of the Alliance. I mean... Because you're not doing anything. You're not helping, and you're there on their ships. And exactly. Eating their food and <laughs> sleeping in their beds. Um, so, so yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, so no, no I, there's something odd. Uh, let's look at the next chapter. Let's. Which you called, spoilerifically, <laughs> I just called it meta. Oh, well, no idea what that means. So let's let's see. Uh, across the universe, on the prison satellite known as Starlag, the minor dominator who discovered the metagene, but was up till now ignored, takes off towards Earth to tell his superiors how to negate it. With a gene bomb, no less. <laughs> uh, in Cuba, the Flash and Manhunter herd the remaining Durlins to uh, Havana Harbor, where they've disguised one of their ships. As they're about to leave, Wally West's father sacrifices himself by pushing the button on an explosive charge that destroys the harbor and the Durlins. Uh, on the dark side of the moon, Superman and his new Daxamite allies are fired upon by Alliance forces while trying to relieve a JLI contingent fighting on Earth's satellite. Impressed by Superman and John Jones' example, one of the six Daxamites has gone on a suicide mission on Earth to use the alien basis transmitter there to send a message to Daxum. Speaking of suicide, members of the Suicide Squad, Rocket Red, and the New Guardians are fighting a losing battle against the Oka-Arans in Moscow. Back on Starlag, Vrildox is leading a prisoner rebellion, and while hiding in the impregnable Black Module himself, sends other prisoners, including the Omega Men, on a suicide mission to wrangle a ship from the Citadelians. The Omega Man Primus is killed in the process, but they do manage it with the help of some prisoners' new superpowers. It's a busy chapter. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's even a, an Omega Man comic in two pages in there. <laughs> <laughs> this comic is not kind to the Omega Men. A couple of them were killed in the first issue, and here Primus, who was once the leader yeah. of the team, is killed uh, unceremoniously. It's always un unceremonious yeah, because we don't have just... time to, to, to spend on, on any of this. He's just shot. He's just shot. That's as simple as that. But, uh, yeah, that young or inferior dominator, which I will call little spot, because uh, it's, <laughs> it's because of their spot on their foreheads. That's how they determine okay. rank or something like that. Little dot was taken. The Harvey comic Well, character. yeah, and it, it was going to be a little circle, but it's not a circle. It's a spot. So um, I call him little, little Spot because he kind of reminds me of Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Because he's he's uh, coming from lower and he has mm -hmm. great ambitions. I mean, he's figured out the meta gene. He has a meta bomb or a gene bomb, and he knows how the meta humans are. And he's all he's saying this openly to himself in a very meta way. He's gonna wreak some havoc. But not now, just later. And he takes off for Earth, and we see him like uh, warp off. Yeah. But um, this is not a, This is the dangling plot thread. So remember yeah. this one for the end. Okay, Primus dies, and yeah. I, if, really, I think the reason why the Omega Men are getting killed through invasion because, in one way, well, who cares? But I mean, they're the <laughs> they're the, the the DC heroes that live and uh, have adventures in outer space. There's a new comic coming out. We get the first inkling of this. We get a footnote about Legion 89. Number one, supposed to come out eventually, soon. Yeah. And it comes. it's a spin-off of Invasion. So we get a footnote here that we're going to find out how these relationships work, how Vrildox is connected to a mysterious Durlin that is at Starlag. Also, first appearances for Legion fans. First appearance of Larissa Maller, who is the ancestor of Shadowlass. Okay. And uh, Strata, 
who is an ancestor. I mean, I know, I'm not sure about the, the lineage, but from the same planet as Block. Okay. So a thousand years later, yeah, a lot of these characters will have analogs in the Legion of Superheroes. So first appearances of them here, they don't really do anything or, or speak, but uh, they're in the crowd scene. Yeah. And part of the prisoners that escape. Now, if Legion is about to start, and Legion is going to be this police force in outer space, it's going to take over that corner of the DC universe. And so the Omega Men, not only are they not useful anymore, because we'll have a different comic, a new comic that explores the same ideas, but they're kind of in the way. It's better to decimate them. They're expandable. They are expendable. Expendable and perhaps, you know, it's a, it's Keith Giffen going, well, new chapter. I don't want people asking, well, what about the Omega Men? We'll we just destroy them. And maybe we can recuperate a character here or there. But uh, for the most part, the team will be disbanded because they've suffered such losses. Yeah. I, I think that's basically it's a changing of the guard and yeah. a, a bloody one. But Legion went on to... They had a good run. Oh, right. Huge run because yeah. Legion 89, 90, 91. And it went on for like five, six years. Became Rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then came back uh, in the late 2000s, still Rebels, but with those same characters, and a, a great comic, really. It might be put on my list. Oh, yeah, and we'll cover the first issue in one of our last episodes, because oh, we'll, nice. we'll talk about the spinoffs eventually. Cool. So that's my Omega Men thing. Also dead, Rudy West, the father of Wally West. Wally's dead. Uh, that surprised me that it happened not in a Flash comic, but in Invasion. Yeah, well, didn't, didn't we... Uh, find out that he was a, a manhunter inside a a crisis type thing so maybe it was you know poetic justice to have him die inside a yeah he was in a crossover and then in a crossover, born in a crossover and... dead in a crossover yeah maybe still surprised me and um and there the other death is the daxamite who gives his life to send a message to yeah. daxam yeah. and uh he's actually someone Oh, yeah, he is? It'll be revealed later, but I can say this. I'll tell you who he is. Uh, He's Kelgand, and Kelgand is, will turn out to be, the father of Largand. And Largand, a.k.a. Monel, a.k.a. Valor, uh, whoever he is in this continuity, he'll be Valor. And he'll join early on the Legion, that Legion. So it's Monel's father, who uh, was an observer and just bit the lead dust. Wow, I kind of feel bad for writing, because I took notes. And uh, I wrote down, in Australia, Superman gets his nose bloodied by Daxamites. Fuck you, Monel. I shouldn't have put that in there now. I'm, I'm feeling all bad. And it's very much giving the finger to that character. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I take it back now that you didn't hear me say it once, but now I said it and I'm taking it back. What can I say? Let's talk about where uh, the war is not going as well. Okay. Because uh, it's going well in Australia, where, you know... We're taking some ground there. Everything's yeah. going well. We basically beat the Gildish Pan in the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. Cuba's empty of Durlins now. Cuba, the Flash, and Manhunter just just, just did everything very well. Mm-hmm. There's only one place where it's not going so well, and it's in Russia, where the new Guardians suck at being Guardians. I mean, they have Bronze <laughs> Tiger with them, which is just an incredible superhero to have with them in Rocket Reds, but... I mean, these guys are supposed to be the new guardians of the universe. And Again. Shade the Changing Man. So part of the Suicide Squad is in here. I mean, these guys, what are they doing? Why are they new guardians? They're just new. I'm taking the guardians out. They can't be new guardians. They're just new. Because, I mean, it's ridiculous. What are they doing? <laughs> what are they well, doing? The the Okarans are the weaponsmiths of the Alliance. Oh, so I get it. They're tough. They're tough guys. But they're they're destroying Moscow. But they're the new Guardians, the new blue guys. Guardians of the universe. I think the Guardians and the Zamorans might have chosen poorly. 
See, I the last like, time this we talked about their, yeah, we talked about that when last we, th- last time we talked yeah. about the new gardens. I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, but it was better cool. than expected. It was, and now I kind of see why everybody hates them. Well, if you weren't reading New Guardians, mm-hmm. so you were ninety percent of the population, <laughs> and you were reading Invasion, which you were a hundred percent of, this the would be your only DC exposure. Yeah. yeah, this is your only exposure. Every time you see them, they're kind of ineffectual characters that you don't know they're really their names necessarily or what they can do. Well, you hear Ram, which looks nothing like a Ram. You have to know he's a computer, and then you have to know that it's random access memory, and that's not a given. And even he has, so, he doesn't do anything. He, doesn't, he just stands there with a lot of muscle, and he talks to one Wait, lady who's do called any, Boss. Do any of them do anything on panel? Well, they seem to be talking to Bronze Tiger. There's talking. Oh, there's a lot of talking. And that's it. No, yeah, we don't see them fighting. So it's all Rocket Reds and... Uh, oh, the Rocket the Reds are doing it because it's their home turf. I mean, they're, they're rocking it, but ugh, the rest of them just hanging out, having a beer, talking. Yeah. So they are great at being like... The Guardians, because that's all they did, right? They're just goalies. They're just, they're just, wait, they're just waiting just for waiting. a blast to come. Oh, man. I really got... I, I was looking, I was like, what What are they doing? Why is Russia failing? They should be on top of this. And they are not on, on top of this. No, they're, uh, this is being compared to, to World War Two and the losses they took there. So, yeah, no, it's going very badly in that one sector. But we don't really see the South Pacific... Everywhere in Marina, but the Kuns are being withdrawn from there. Yeah, so. and South Pacific, we kind of got that in the JLI and the Wonder yeah. Woman. They they kicked ass in there, but I mean, even in space, the Starlag, everything's going great for the good guys, except for Russia. <laughs> that's I mean, true. It's true. It's it's pitiful. That's what it is. Yeah, come on, and, Guardians. And you'd think Russia would, be, or the Soviet Union, would be pretty ruthless. You know, willing to make some... Well, strike. we just don't see a lot of that. It's, to be, it's just, we just don't see it. To be fair, I mean, they have... It's the Okanarans? Wait, yeah. And and they... Uh, I mean, they're the tougher of the guys there. They're they're the big guns. So, you know... Yeah, okay. They, but, I mean, are the Okarans better than the Kuns? I think they are. I, think I, guess, I guess they are. We know there was a competition between them. Yeah. Uh, and now we know the answer to, to, to that. I think that the Kuns are better strategists and maybe are... More ruthless, but the Okanarans are. I'm actually this better way. fighters. Better fighters and just tougher. Could be. We don't see Kuns and Okarans together, but uh, maybe the, now the the antagonism is between the Dominion and the, oh, the yeah. Kuns. I have a care dominator, lest you forget that I am your ally, not your underling. And speaking of ruthless, I think uh, Vril Dox, for example, ha- has that ruthlessness. Oh yeah, he sends people to their deaths. And Vril Dox is one of my favorite DC characters of really? all time. Oh really? Uh, we here he seems like he's you know he's a bit drawn like uh, Brainiac Five. Yeah, I mean he's Brainiac uh, Two. But by the time Legion really starts up, oh my God, that guy is—it's all contingency plans, and he doesn't care about you, only about what you can do for him. And he manipulates. I mean, it's five, six, seven years of comics where he just manipulates people. Oh wow! Uh, and everybody hates him. He's a jackass, but. A wonderful jackass. I, I love I love that that cold calculation that's in him combined with being just super smart. Uh, and when he's well written, it's uh, it's quite amazing. So uh, here we're just seeing a shade of that because it's, it's really like um, you know, uh, Garen Beck is going, who's like the first guy he was friends with in the um, in the Gulag, uh, spiky haired mullet guy. Yeah, Garen is outside the black module, the impregnable yeah. black mo- module, and uh, Vril says, 
you know, I'm going to blow the door. All you have to do is fight your way out and commandeer an escape ship. And the, the other guy goes, Docs, you crazy Kaluan, stop. We'll be slaughtered. You can't. Roger will go over and out. And he presses the button. It's like, mm, I, I don't even care what you're going to say. And Garen is right. They do get slaughtered. We see prisoners get shot that we don't know who they are. The only one, the only confirmed death is Primus. You know, I think the others are still standing. The ones we know are still standing later. But people do get killed. Oh, yeah. And here we, we also see the metagene taking effect on some of the human prisoners uh, who were experimented on. And they have powers. We don't, I mean, it's a bit of a jumble and we don't know who that's supposed to be. Is it someone we saw in the first test where there were a lot of people? Yeah. Uh, who will become the Blasters uh, later on. Dexter. We'll see that later. Like the guy turns into some sort of metallic mirror. Kind of like a, a metallic plastic man. There's so much happening that some yeah. of it is like glossed over. And Although they do say that, you know, old superheroes or old heroes are dying while new ones are being born. Yeah. And this was written in uh, in 88, right? right. 88. Did you notice that when uh, Lil Spot explained how the metagene works... Uh, he said the exact same thing. It's exactly the same thing that Ajax told Deadpool in the Deadpool movie. It's exactly, it's almost the line? Basically, he says, you know, we all, they all have this, or some of them have this gene. And when, uh, you know, there's danger or high stress levels or they're attacked by some kind of something. Oh, yeah, because in the Deadpool they, they, movie, they're yeah. just like, they're trying to spark mutants. Exactly. And trigger the, the mutation. If you're not a mutant, you're you're dying. If you're if you're a mutant, you you have this incredible power afterwards. And it's, a, it's the exact same thing. Exact same thing. It, it kind of took me aback. I said, what, well, what 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 are we doing here? Uh, maybe uh, we're not the only ones reading these comics. <laughs> um, I want to talk a bit about the art. Yeah, because Todd McFarlane did the first half, and here we've got Keith Giffen. Yeah, we uh, had a change in in the art. And this is and this is something that we uh, talked about with. Um, I talked about this with Shag or something on another show. You talked to Shag? I talked to Shag. He never talks to me. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> can I say? That's uh, not true. He's he's nice. I'll take your word for it. So <laughs> uh, I talked about this with Shag on Who's Who in the Legion. He brought this up that at this point, Keith Giffen was co-plotting the Justice League books drawn by Kevin McGuire. And Kevin McGuire has a very expressive style. With the, you know, the expressions on the yeah. faces are, are great. Uh, and um, so this is around the same time. And Keith Giffen's art is morphing towards a more McGuire-like look. Look at these faces. Yeah. Look at the, the way that the line is defined. I mean, this is very much Kevin McGuire faces. Yeah, they do. If you told me Kevin McGuire did this and, you know, somebody inked them that we're not necessarily used to, I would believe... That this was this was Kevin McGuire art, very much so. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Just the way the expressions, especially the expressions, but even like the the squareness of the face or like the I don't know. There's something very very Kevin McGuire about Keith Giffen's art in 1988. <laughs> I mean, really, I think Legion yeah. in the Who's Who in the Legion was also around that year. So you know, he spent like a year or or a couple of years kind of playing around with what uh, his penciler was doing on another book. I didn't really, it's not that I didn't notice, it's maybe because I'm also reading, you know, the JLI mm -hmm, stuff, mm -hmm. and and this is the type of art I see every time I open one of those books, so I, I really like it. Not that I don't like Todd McFarlane's, which is, you know, it's more cartoony, and it's you know, a lot of lines, and, you know, ripped up, uh, he can't keep a cape not ripped up, and he has to rip up <laughs> okay. capes. 
everywhere. But I, I mean, it's fine. But uh, in here, there's so much being said with just the faces, and uh, I, I dig it. Are we ready to go to the last chapter four? Chapter four: The Daxamite Cavalry. The Dominators fear for their armada and think themselves saved when the Daxamite fleet arrives. But Daxam now stands with Earth. <gasps> as above, so below, the tide is turned on every front as the heroes rout the alien invaders. The Kund Warlord is incensed at the Dominator's strategic ineptitude. Just then, an urgent communique comes in from the Dominion leadership. Earth must be preserved for the sake of the meta-human project. All allies are expendable. And, and this is broadcast to everyone. So the Alliance turns on the treacherous Dominators and surrenders to the Daxamites. All except the Kunds. Of course. The Dominators insist the transmission was a trick from inside the ship, but having lost, they can now only press one of two buttons. Either surrender, there's a button for that, or destroy the planet, there's the other button. The Dominator enrages the Kund Warlord by choosing surrender, but his castmate insists that wasn't the choice he was going to make. So the Kund moves to press the slaughter button himself, but suddenly can't move and instead shoots himself in the head. What's happening? That's when Dead Man springs out of him, explaining the treason from within the High Command. And with the surrender signal going through, Alliance forces all stop, and the invasion is over. Uh, then we get a newscast serving as epilogue, in which we see Earth celebrate while the terms of the alien surrender are discussed. Uh, superheroes are beloved the world over, and some look to the difficult rebuilding of the countries attacked. Finally, Captain Adam addresses the UN to deliver the final verdict. The Dominion and Kunz will be escorted out of the solar system by the Daxamites, while all the other races involved have agreed to leave with only enough fuel for the return journey, and have agreed never to attack Earth again. Captain Adam hopes this experience will bond Earth's nations in a new peace, but it doesn't last long. The next news item is about the tiny nation of Bialia invading a neighboring country. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? Yeah, and of course Giffen went and took Bialia, which is a ridiculous president from the Justice League comics. Yeah. But, holy crap, that Dead Man thing. Yeah, because we saw Dead Man... <laughs> this must have been like a out of left field when I read this originally. Because I was not reading The Spectre. It was exactly. a new format book that was not available to me, and maybe I wouldn't have read it anyway. But uh, Dead Man in that issue is the only mystical superhero who decides to screw it not obey the Lords of Order and actually take part in the, in yeah. the Earth Force on his own because he can't really communicate with anyone. Exactly. He's a spirit. So he's taking over various aliens and getting them shot. And all, and all of a sudden, because in, in the in the Spectre comic, we just see him like fly off straight up. I was kind of wondering, where where is he going? You know, because he was kind of cool in there, but, you know, Dead Man's always kind of joking. And and then, oh my god, I didn't see that coming. There was something within the pages, how how the, it's built up. It's great, because you, you, you come to the end of one page where you see this long-fingered, clawy, you know, hand from a Dominator going to push a button. We don't really know which one he's going to push. There's destroy or surrender. And then all of a sudden, there's this weird glow all around him. And you don't really yeah, know. As he clicks. Yeah. So I thought, oh, is, is he is the glow coming from, I don't know, the button is making his hand glow. We don't really know. And he immediately gets shot and vaporized by exactly. the gun. Exactly. So is he already being shot and it's part of... We don't when really know. When you read know. it quickly, I know. it doesn't register. 
But then you turn the page, and I just love how this is just built up, because all of a sudden that glow is all around the Kun guy, the Kun commander, and you're like, what's going on? Why is he shooting him? What? And he, sh he shot himself. And I thought, wow, this is the most badass thing I've seen Dead Man do. Wow. Yeah, I was well, I was blown away. By I think this. Dead Man is much more connected. Shows he's much more connected to humanity, to his own oh absolutely human life than a similar spirit like the Spectre or any of the mystical superheroes that we saw. And he's doing this all by himself because he's he's, he's he's always been like the regular Joe. Because one of the yeah. things that was strange about Dead Man was that he kind of had uh, Ben Grimm's dialect. He, he, he did, yeah. And yet he looked like like a, a ghost. In a fancy schmancy acrobat outfit, so it was like a lot of little, a lot of different things. And then his dialect was just like a guy from Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's like this complete paradox where you, you shouldn't talk like that if you're mystical. I think that's the essence of of Dead Man. Uh, he's just a regular guy that this has happened to. Yeah. This absurd thing has happened to. It doesn't make sense. So he's not going to obey Lords of Order, Chaos, no. or whatever. He's he's like us, and he wants to join up, and he's part of that, and he's not going to stay on the sidelines. And nobody will know, you know? Nobody will know that Dead Man is actually the one who put the final nail in the coffin. Exactly. I mean, he's the guy who took out the Kuns. And he's the one that, you know, he it, it's just incredible. And he just did it because he wanted to do it. I, I, I thought that was such a badass move. And also awesome. it breaks the deadlock between the Dominators and the Kuns because yeah. at this point, where else can they go? They're both blaming one another. It's everybody else's fault. It's none of their faults exactly. uh, that they've lost this invasion. So where else are they going to go? Are the Kuns just going to keep driving at that invasion regardless? Or will they be stopped by the Dominion? There's nothing to, yeah. to be done with these characters anymore. They're at the end of their, you know, their collective rope. So Dead Man basically... Ends that yeah. debate. It kind of is Duces Machina, but it's not. But kind of feels like it, but it's not, because, you know, he was going to join up. What seems to be telegraphed, as far as what happens next, is that the Daxamite Cavalry arrives. Yeah. And the Dominators will go, crap, this is an army of Supermen, because yeah. there's multiple ships. So now that they're in Earth's solar system, this is an army of Supermen, and they're against us. And they just use them as sort of threat for later. Like, they'll stay in line and leave because the Daxamites have that power, but they mm -hmm. never actually unleash the, the Daxamite army. They stay in their ships. Don't they? Don't, do they? Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. When? I'm looking. Actually, look at this. Look at this. This is all Daxamites. They move like this huge oh. body of... Kind of looks like when uh, Aragorn goes to get the ghosts of... Uh, uh, what's their name there in the mountain? Yeah. And and they just come back and they just just level everything. Right, every right. Orc this, and okay, yeah. And these are all tiny, yeah, humanoid shapes. Yeah, you actually see them moving, just like this big wave of daxamites. You just take everything out at super high speed. Oh yeah, oh, here. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. No, they're flying through ships. Okay, this is another yeah. massive. I don't know how I was I was reading that. Just like beams or superpowers destroying ships. Uh, but no, they're little tiny shapes. Oh, the, the panels are so busy with all the ships and yeah. the explosions and the Yeah, my bad. I was reading too fast. The... In Russia, the Okarans uh, get hit pretty bad by, you know, you see Rocket Reds and members yeah. of Soyuz. So the Russian heroes actually, you know, start well, pulling their weight. The Okarans are also said, you know what, we, we don't need this. 
this is all fallen. So uh, let's get out. Yeah, and you see some like uh, human jets, and so I mean, there's a good effort from oh, everyone. Yeah. Big yeah. Time. So okay, okay, okay. So there's a Daxamite army that's playing because I was like, wait, where's the Daxamite army? Why don't we don't see enough of them? And every time we're in close in, it's all characters we know. We don't really see a lot of them, but they they do have this yeah, one they, wave of destruction where. Because the only close-up on a Daxamite is the commander aboard the ship. So, I, You know what I love, really, about the Daxamites getting into, you know, coming to battle? First thing they do, they blow up a Thanagarian ship. That's what I love. <laughs> That's what so, I love. So now the Daxamites are... Uh, yep. We're friends. I've been redeemed. Okay. But there's another one. Haven't we won? Well... I thought we'd won. We... we Surely looks like we've won, but well, we have look this... at the back cover. Well, we still have this one Dominator. So this is a back cover. Yeah. Where a Dominator stands over, like, a, a mini Earth, and Earth's heroes are dying on there. Struggling, at least. Next month, World Without Heroes. Well, there is that one dangling plot thread. A little spot. <laughs> little spot's coming. He has a, a gene bomb. Which is shouldn't affect Batman, but kind of does. It probably shouldn't affect Wonder Woman either. Yeah. Or Green Lantern. Yeah. I mean, th this is not a good selection of heroes. It's not a good selection of heroes. To show that. Or Superman. Superman's not Metagene. <laughs> it's not. Just, but only you know the what? Flash is, is Metagene. Exactly. Exactly. It has to be dramatic. So in other words, this uh, there's a scorched earth policy here <laughs> that we haven't seen yet. There's The Dominators have one last trick up their sleeve. And, uh, well, it's not really the Dominators. The it's one, a Dominator. Uh, a Dominator. Uh, has, has no name. None of them do. Uh, Little Spot will be back in, well, a month. Mm -hmm. But for us, <laughs> in many months. Because <laughs> we're going to go through... First Strike is over. So all the, the next issues are uh, branded with Invasion Aftermath. In First Strike, it was like everything's happening at the same time kind of thing. Yeah. But not at the same time as Invasion Number 1. It's like Invasion Number 1, then everything happens at the same time. Now Battleground Earth happened. What happens after Battleground Earth? It's not okay. really what's going to happen. I, for the most part, it's not what's happening during all these battles. We're not going to get to see, uh, you know, single little battles okay. going on during this issue, from yeah. what I remember. So it's going to be Aftermath. Aftermath. It's called Aftermath. So we get the immediately after uh, the invasion forces have left. What happens now? Okay. And this is going to build up to the events of Invasion Number 3, which is our actual finale. Wow. There are fewer Aftermath issues than there were First Strike issues. Oh, no! Yeah. So if you look at the, the inside back cover. What's coming up? The war is over, but at what cost? Find out in. And then there are like maybe half as many issues yeah, as there lot. were First Strike issues. But some are missing here. There are a couple of comics that should have had the banner and did not have the banner. We're going to check them out. We're going to check them out anyway because they are invasion crossovers. It was just like a cover-paste-up mistake, probably. Okay. I'm down for that. Okay. We'll take a small break. When we come back, letters from, from the, the front. The end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon. And the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. 
The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005. Uh, wait a second. Are, are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much. Okay, good. Got that. All right. In 2005, DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice. Written by Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, this series was essentially a Super Friends for adults. And now another group of Super Friends has come together to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017. The excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast and continues into Supermates, the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast, Views from the Long Box, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern cast, the Shazam cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the League's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Letters from the front! We got letters from the front. These servicemen fighting the good fight in the invasion in 1988. Any from Australia? Uh, damn, I think... I'm hoping... No. No. Paul Hicks is not here. I hope he's okay. I hope so, uh, But <laughs> But we do have an, a letter from Ange of uh, Comic Box Commentary. He says, flying capes made from... Okay, so before I get any further, these are letters about Spectre number 23. Okay, yeah. yeah. Which we just... Talked about the, the whole dead man thing. Yeah. Which was just before the, the invasion. So it's, it's I know. Kind of perfect. Time was perfect. Yeah. And says, flying capes made from cacao stomachs. Uh, what a bunch of tripe. <laughs> uh, when Siskoid said every doctor is someone's favorite, I thought, wow, I'm someone's favorite doctor. Then I realized that he was talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, like many characters, I met most of these magical characters as guest stars in either DCCP or uh, Brave and the Bold. I have a fondness for Madame Xanadu. The foundation of that is images uh, by Mike Kaluta's house ad art, which were burned into my young brain from house ads. Uh, but I love the Wagner Reader Vertigo series later on. I like the concept of Dr. Fate a lot, uh, but as you say, doing a monthly comic with someone that powerful is tough. I didn't get the Demetrius book, but I see it now and then in the $1 boxes, so maybe it's time to pick up some issues. The less said about the Extreme Fate book, the better. <laughs> And yeah, I got him like super cheap, that complete run of Dr. Fate. Yeah. Uh, There's like a comic book uh, store closing down, like maybe a year or two after the series came out. I, I got them all on the cheap oh. then. Uh, he says, I never really liked Dead Man. I know that might be heresy. And I like Zatanna a lot. Having first met her in the Bates Dylan JLA book, I definitely will sample books in which she stars. Hope you guys have read her Seven Soldiers miniseries from a few years back. Brilliant stuff by Morrison and Souk. I agree. Great book. Although it did retread some of the some of the stuff Morrison did with Animal Man and yeah. the Breaking the Fourth Wall stuff is also in there. Uh, Rob Kelly from Film and Water says, uh, Yes, the Phantom Stranger is one of my favorite characters. We tagged him on that. I don't think he's at his best in this multi-part crossover. 
uh, nor when he's drawn by someone with a knack for moody, mysterious types work like what we see here. I used to think I liked him because he was just a guest star, but his solo series, especially the issues by Ween and Aparo, are stellar, so I've come to like him in various roles. In a world of entertainment, whether it be comics, TV, or movies, that has less and less time for unanswered questions, The Stranger's unwillingness to explain everything all the time still holds a lot of appeal for me. Plus, he just looks really cool. Last time, we also had the mailbag, obviously, yeah. and Chris Phelps uh, gave some good comments about New Guardians, if you'll remember, and how it, they were actually important to him and his development. Rob says Chris Phelps' commentary uh, on the last issue of New Guardians uh, has made me rethink my dismissive approach to the series. While I still don't think it was very good, the fact that it had a prominent gay character is a big deal, and the series creators deserve credit. Representation matters, and while DC wasn't ready to have gay heroes in their main books... Byrne had to sneak it in on Superman, probably talking about Maggie Sawyer. Um, they were able to do it here. Good for them. And I'm not being contrary about Batman and the Outsiders, which <laughs> we ripped on last time. I genuinely love that series while also understanding why people like the joyless dead inside Siskoid are so negative on it. What can I say? It hit me at the right age and it was always one of my favorite series back when my allowance had to suffice as personal income. I would honestly love to cover the book for the network, but unfortunately, I have to waste a lot of time at a stupid job, which is where I'm typing this. <laughs> and we still talk about this. This was like last month. Yeah. Even today, Rob and Chris made mention of a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Really? They have podcasts? <laughs> they keep threatening it. <laughs> they keep threatening it. Oh, man. I don't know. I'm kind of with you with the whole Batman and the Outsiders thing. I don't get why it was kind of... I mean, it's like the pockets everywhere in the 90s. Well, it's like the pouches. and. The... From what I read, when Batman was on the book, the book did well. And then when Batman left, the book did not do so well. well. And when Batman came back, the book did well again. So... Is it the outsiders that people like? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe well, not. You have to have a, a, a Batman-type figure in there, like the Red Hood or, you know, no. Nightwing in but the Outsiders. You, exactly. You need a popular character in the Outsiders because none of the Outsiders are popular because they're Outsiders. Right? <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's it. Uh, David is Gutierrez says, dude, meaning Siskoid, I have that Demon Superman DC Comics Presents issue too. It was a Qbert, if I'm not mistaken, yes, and it had uncovered breasts in one of the panels. So this is something that I had to go back and look for. Okay. And we had a lot of back and forth, uh, David and I and other people on the uh, on the website, uh, because I, I couldn't spot those those breasts. And I, I kept thinking of other Qbert comics where he, you know, Qbert was good at showing like a Greek statue and it had uncovered breasts yeah. in a mainstream comic and somehow they let that pass which, well, which is a, fine by me yeah. it's a statue but you know the comics code being what it was and this the naked breasts are on a figure that is doodled no bigger than the characters in the the superheroes <laughs> in the summit even smaller and in Serpent and it took me forever to find but I didn't find it he had to show me <laughs> and um, there was a whole lot of talk about how it was um, important to young Dave wow Wow. If you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. So, uh, a boy starved of nudity. Which wow. Was not necessarily a problem at my house. Then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Q Big Bang Theory's uh, laugh track right now. <laughs> <laughs> so this issue, he goes on to say, if memory serves, Madame Xanadu was part of the Spectre cast at this point. Okay. That's why she's in here and useless. I always meant to go back and read the series, but I have a hard time with magic characters like the Phantom Stranger. 
I'm convinced he's just a dick who trolls people pretending to know all the answers, or one of these people that just spouts phrases that seem intelligent without offering any real guidance. Never got it. Well, he is a detective. Well, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> you kind of have to love uh, mystical characters, or at least get that you won't get it to kind of like them. That's mm. what. That's how I approach them. Okay. It's it's not as easy, you know, to to like mystical characters in all their shapes and forms. You know, you might like Doctor Fate and not like Madame Xanadu, but you know, they're all part of the same spectrum. Ryan Daly, yeah, from Nightcast says, as David mentioned above, Madame Xanadu was a regular uh, in the Spectre. I said from Night Nightcast. I should have said from Midnight, the podcasting hour, since. Uh, that does cover supernatural characters. Okay. Uh, prior to the crisis, however, she only appeared in about a dozen comics. Beginning in Doorway to Nightmare, she functioned very much like a female Phantom Stranger, setting stories in motion, but only tangentially interacting with the players. Uh, her supernatural abilities were even more vague and ill-defined than Phantom Strangers. He says, I like or love just about all of DC's magics and supernatural characters, but I don't think they should be on a team together. Justice League Dark was better than it had any right to be when Jeff Lemire and Michael Janin were on the book, but I still don't think these various characters should be bonded to a team structure, whether you call it Shadow Pact or JL Dark or whatever. First and foremost, because many of them are not superheroes. Swamp Thing, John Constantine, Madame Xanadu, Etrigan the Demon, these guys aren't superheroes. I would argue that the ghostly dead man and the Spectre really aren't either, even if they help the mainstream heroes. That doesn't mean they shouldn't ever cross over, uh, and they can definitely be brought together to face a world-threatening danger every once in a while. But magic characters and supernatural heroes thrive in unstructured, controlled chaos group settings, not teams with signal devices and charters. It goes against your uh, your love of the, that concept. Well, that's fine. No argument here. I haven't <laughs> covered any Phantom Stranger stories, he says, because I, I thought he had, or he would, uh, on Midnight, the post- podcasting hour yet, but I'm hoping that will change a lot in 2018. <gasps> well, that's a long ways to go there. Why 2018? I don't know. Uh, maybe a Night Force will be done or something. Oh, maybe. Maybe we can add some somebody to that uh, roster. And probably have to do it with Rob Kelly, since Rob Kelly is the ultimate Phantom Stranger fan. Uh, Joe X says, they also had Sentinels of Magic spinning out of the Day of Vengeance crossover, uh, but never did anything with them. So that was another magic-based team. Okay, yeah. Frank uh, sent us another chapter of his book. He says, you guys know I enjoy both of your work on the show, so don't take this the wrong way. (laughs) This starts off nice. Uh, But I couldn't seem to pay full attention to this episode and dozed off a bit for chunks of it. I'm not going to pretend to have my finger on the pulse of Spectre fandom, but have you ever noticed how no one seems to care about that this book existed? When someone brings up the Spectre, it's usually in relation to the Fleischer, Apero, or Ostrander Mandrake runs. Certainly the Golden Age material and the 60s showcases or even old Crispus Allen have their fans. But this run? How long did it actually run for? (laughs) So to answer Frank's question, Spectre number uh, volume 2 lasted 31 issues plus an annual. Oh, that's pretty good. So just short of just short of three years. That's a decent run. And its initial artist was Gene Colan, after all. I mean, that counts for something. And Doug Mensch did write the whole of the series, uh, just as he did that issue. People may condemn the Jared Stevens Fate series, plural, but at least they know one existed. <laughs> Which is a worse circumstance, I wonder. For the record, optics notwithstanding, the first run of Fate was surprisingly good, if you can get past the lousy first story arc by John Francis Moore, to the odd couple pairing with Alan Scott, written by the sadly underrated Len Kaminsky. 
Then they restarted the title with Giffen and Wagner, which was actually as bad as everyone assumes the first series would have been. Uh, the Demon Etrigan is my favorite of the characters featured in this issue. Well, yeah, he's everybody's favorite. And he says, I have no use for Justice League Dark, another one. Uh, I can't stand that every DC character is a leaguer, and every Marvel one is an Avenger. Sentinels of Magic, Shadow Pack, call it something that means something, and we can talk. I agree with Ryan that it's better to toss these guys together for a crisis that really sells the stakes when it can bring such a motley band together. Okay, and Bradley Null says, great coverage of a horrible comic. And Chris Franklin of the Supermates says, I'm going to beat my drum again about Dr. Fate. He was at uh, the all-time height of his popularity around 1985 to 1987, and DC led Giffen and Demetrius chuck all that for the whole Linda Eric thing. I had a subscription to the ongoing series, but it wasn't the fate I wanted. They've been scrambling to get back to a classic Dr. Fate ever since, but it never felt right. They missed that window to etch the classic version in stone, hence... The character's shaky foundation since. That's an interesting point. I thought it was like a great series, but it did do damage to the brand. It just made Dr. Fate could be anyone, like a Green Lantern thing. Yeah, because it's all about the helmet of Naboo. Not, it has nothing to do with... Uh... Kent Nelson. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, he's become various people. He and she's been become, yeah. become different people. So, yeah, I mean... and Yeah, it's all about the helmet and the medallion and the cape. And, and to this day... Uh, he's not always Kent Nelson. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, point taken, which does not reduce the quality of Demetrius' work and Sean McMagnus' work in that 80s, 90s series. Oh, my God. The, the mailbag was, uh, the letters from the front was, uh, I think it was actually harsher for this comic <laughs> than for the Guardians, the new Guardians. A lot of people just used it to say which one of their, which mystical yeah. superhero yeah. was their favorites, uh, but no one really... Doug the Spectre series. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Kind of really shows, though, that these mystical characters have uh, a larger place in our hearts and our feelings. Because if you don't care about something, you're not going to argue about it. But at the same time, I don't think they're sellers. So not a lot of people (laughs) like the Spectre. Yeah. That Spectre series because mystical superheroes are hard sell. They are hard sell. So if if the series isn't top-shelf quality, and this wasn't, uh, then, or it didn't grab the imagination then it flounders and people don't remember so well later. Yeah. And even the Dr. Fate series that I really did love and I know Shag loved and others did, I mean, it splits the fandom in two. A lot of people hated that and and blame it for the character's lack of success later. What you going to do? Some of them have had great runs, but uh, they're difficult to bring back to life in yeah, later years. They are. And I mean, mystical characters and... When the horror trend in the 70s might have Probably really did. helped a lot of them. Swamp Thing and uh, yeah. Spectre and Phantom Stranger thrived in the 70s. But not many of them made it out of there. It's a, it's a, it's a hard sell because uh, mysticism and, and, and paranormal and stuff like that, it's, it, it kind of goes and gets you in the guts rather than in the brains, right? You have to put the brains off to kind of get everything. Because you can't really explain magic and you can't explain mysticism. And I think that's why a lot of... People are, you know, they like something better this way or they should always be loners or, you know, they're not typical superheroes. So, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I get everybody. But uh, it's, it's kind of weird that seeing that, you know, we had a, a bunch of superheroes that nobody liked. Yet, yeah, yeah, we don't really care. But these guys, man, they, they, they really either, you know, love Dr. Fate or don't like him or, you know, hate Spectre or, 
weird and cool. And you like the basic superheroes as a team, and some people hate it. Yeah. Well, I like I, everybody as a team. Okay. I like everybody as a team. Maybe because, you know, I'm kind of a loner. So I like seeing what? team things because I don't want to participate. I like to look at it. No, I've never inspected that of myself. But when I was a kid and I started buying comics, I almost exclusively bought team books or <laughs> team-ups. That's it. And the reason I always gave myself for it, because I remember I have actual memories of some thoughts I might have had, was that the more superheroes, the better. I was discovering these universes, and I wanted more superhero per square inch. It's basically (laughs) what I, you know, I have to buy Secret Wars because then I'm going to discover a lot more superheroes than if I buy a Spider-Man. Yeah. Which has the one superhero that I already know. So team books were the thing, and then I only discovered solo heroes a few years later. I had more money, and I went, well, you know, I'm buying every team book. I'll get Captain America, and I'll get, um, you know, the Hulk, and I'll get whatever. Uh, But I never thought of it as I'm a loner and looking for a team. But, you know, it's possible. I mean, it's possible that was part of my psychology as well. Just something I figured, you know, because I'm not really, uh, uh, you know, I I don't go out for team sports, and, you know, I don't. I don't like large groups, although... We've my, played at improv teams together. Yeah, yeah. And and my job is highly, you know... It's, Team-based. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, everything I basically do is... But I am kind of a loner. I don't mingle. Mm-hmm. So so that's... I think that's why I like team books, because I like teams. And super teams are awesome. I mean, teams have the... Not all teams. Different teams have different concepts. But teams are a mirror of, you know, your group of friends. Yeah. Your inner circle. And in your inner circle, there is drama, and there there are people you don't yeah. like so much, and uh, and maybe that's you know it's a what what if all me and all my friends had superpowers? Yeah. On top of that, so instead of doing improv or playing soccer or, or yeah. you know being in art class or whatever it is that you do with friends, play hacky sack, your band, you know, your band, <laughs> your band, uh, whatever you do, instead you'd be fighting supervillains. How cool would that be? I think that's the exactly. one of the attractions of team books. So if we all had magic powers, of course we'd be in a team. I'd be in a team. Why would I sit alone in the freaking Fate Tower or whatever it's called? No reasons. Yeah. If I was the Spectre, I'd be looking for friends. <laughs> and I'd be looking for, hey, wasn't the you know, Phantom Stranger around here? Because, you know, I want to go grab a I want to play, yeah, play some chess with, uh, yeah. play some hero clicks exactly. with Darkseid and, uh, you know, and I, the Phantom Stranger. Because I, I, you know, I, I, so yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's the thing. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. Facebook likes and shares. Yeah, let's do that. Thanks for all those comments, but also thank you for just promoting the show oh, through yeah. uh, Facebook and Twitter. So thank you, Abadaba, Al Sedano, Batman Nightcast, Billy Lacasse, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, Daniel Budnick, D. Bash, Gareth Bray, H. Daniel Rebold, Jason Pope, Jimmy McGlinchey, Keith G. Baker, Max Romero, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Mike Peacock, Nicholas Brom, Rad Adventures Network, Richard Field, Rob Kelly, Robert Ward, Ryan Daly, Sam Lowe, Scott Cage, Shag Matthews, Sean Merrick, and Stephen Lum. And Twitter retweets and favorites from Aaron Henley, Amsel Von Canterbury, Ange Bat, Coffee and Comics, David Ace Gutierrez, Film and Water Podcast, Greg A., Isaiah Stevens, Connell, Longbox Crusade, Man of Screen Podcast, Martin Gray, Michel Thief, uh, who is a big fan of Wozniak, so uh, the artist on the, uh, on that Spectre issue. Cool. He told me, I, I had a conversation with him after he went, the Woz lives. Yes. Uh, because I, I think looking at Michel Thief's work, there's a common ground there. Oh, really? It looks, I mean, so I asked him if it was like an inspiration, was Wozniak ever an inspiration for your work? He told me no. <laughs> but I do think they kind of look similar. There are similarities in the work. Uh, Nathan Wozniak, 
not necessarily related. Related. Uh, Pod Dylan, Richard Field, World Spine Podcast, The Aquaman Shrine, Treasury Comics, Warlord Worlds, and William Bachman II. You too can uh, participate in the conversation or just promote the show. Uh, and you can do so at fireandwaterpodcast.com where, you know, there are a lot more comments than this. I, everybody yeah. that left a comment has been name dropped and mentioned, uh, but I didn't read entire comments. Of course, you want to read the entirety of Frank's rants, for example, you have to go to the site. You can, you can participate in the conversation also. So please do. Right. You can tell Frank off. Uh, <laughs> you can, but you don't have to. Uh, Gutierrez did it. <laughs> uh, in that one, I did not read it, but uh, if you want to see the comeback, you can check I, it out. I, I'd be scared to. I would, <laughs> repercussions would just there's, just there's going to be some fighting. There's a throwdown. Oh, coming! Boy. I can feel it. So uh, you can also do that on the Fire and Water uh, Facebook page and uh, on Twitter. The hashtag is FW Podcasts. And that's it. And that's it. Next time on First Strike: The Invasion Podcast. Checkmate number 12! <laughs>